like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is the podcast that's created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So wherever you might be tuning in from, welcome. Today I'm sitting down with Yog Paul Kenny from the class of 1986. Paul and I had uh, an intriguing kaleidoscope of conversation. He mentioned a teacher during our conversation who, in his words, was a cyclone of brilliance, which is an amazing phrase. And I think at some point I described my conversation with Paul to Paul (laughs) as somewhat of a cyclone in and of itself. We travel some journey together in this conversation. I hope you'll do your best to strap yourself in and keep up. Uh, some snippets may have gone missing because uh, we had some tech issues that uh, were challenging to us at the time as well. But fascinating insight into a well-traveled man, a, an opinionated perspective, a well-read and perhaps largely misunderstood, but some stories, some insights from Paul Kenny from the class of 1986. I'm going to begin by asking Paul, when did he begin his journey at Yarra? Welcome back to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is the podcast where we sit with Yarra old grammarians and talk about their experience of school and where the ups and downs and the twists and turns of life have taken them since. And today it is my privilege to sit down with Paul Kenny from the class of 1986. Paul, welcome back. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Paul, I wonder if we could begin our conversation by telling us at what point did you start your journey at Yarra? What year level did you arrive? In year seven, uh, 1981. And... uh, I started in the same week that the film Indiana, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark came uh-huh, out and uh-huh. uh, everyone in my uh, year was rushing to see it. Um, I felt very unnerved arriving in a new school. I'd been to a local primary school and I came into Yarra and uh, there were kids from all kinds of places and, and, and we uh, sort of met and made friends. And on the third day that I was at Yarra, my appendix broke. Oh, no. And I was carried out of school um, on a on a stretcher into an ambulance, and I was in hospital for two weeks. And when I came back into school, everyone had formed their their gangs, their, their groups. groups. Yes, yeah, they yeah. So it was without guys, you included. Well, yeah, totally. Because I, I, yeah, you weren't here. No, and I was uh, being sewn up, <laughs> and. Um, it was fine because the teachers sort of overcompensated. They okay. they kind of uh, sort of forced me to include me into groups, and people were very kind. Yeah, the Yarra's always been kind, so that was terrific. But you were that kid who had quite the story on your first uh, couple of days into school. Well, everyone was very helpful because they mm. you know, they felt I got out of sport. That was great for starters. Okay, so that you right. see that as a positive. I've always seen that as a, <laughs> as a positive. 
Um, yeah, so I, I was helped everywhere by everyone. Yes. Um, and uh, then I got, so I got to sort of stay and stay still while people helped me and then talk to them and make friends with them. Nice. And it was a really good bonding thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, by midway through my first year seven, I was 7B for everyone, Mr. Carr. And uh, then we had to do, oh, God, we had to do lectures, uh, debating classes with 7D, Mr. Archer. And uh, it, it went well. And then I was taken down into the library one day and I was appointed as the kind of spokesperson for Year 7. Uh-huh. And that was fine. That was good. So what are the attributes of make you a spokesperson on behalf of? Is it about listening or is it about speaking? It's about being the youngest of four people, <laughs> um, four brothers and sisters who are really loud okay. and fighting for your chance to speak. Yes. And that's what happened when I came back from hospital and, and I went into a year full of people who had already made friends. Yep. You have to fight for your space. Yes. yes. Um, the rest of my time at Yarra Valley wasn't a fight for my space. It was a, it was a chance to you know, make friends and yeah. make good friends. Yeah. So, yeah. so what do you remember of those early days? Let's let's consider um, the classes. Do you remember were there 10 in a class, were there 30 in a class, 50 in a class? You've remembered already some of your teachers. No, there were like 25. And what was one of your favourites? Where did you like to be in terms of the classroom? Was it uh, in, in an arts and design type of space? Was it in maths? Was it in science? Well, are you talking, if you're talking about year 11, about year 7? So yes, year 7, yes. We didn't have a choice. Okay. We didn't choose electives. We no, had, you didn't we get didn't. to choose, but did no, you, was there somewhere 10. that enjoyed... More than others? Um, my compass always pointed towards writing and, and, and right. you know, words and stuff, not so much towards numbers and yes. economy. And uh, We didn't do that much of that in year seven, no, eight, nine. No, no. Year 10, when we got electives, it yep. was fairly clear that my compass was towards the art side of the world rather than the economics and math side of the world. Yes, of course, of course. And... I gather, and we'll get there in a moment, but you've continued to enjoy words and, and both the written word and, and clearly the spoken word. You, you string words together very, very well, and I'm excited to hear some more stories from you about your time <laughs> at Yarra. Um, so let's move into the, I, I guess, the middle school and then into senior school where you do get to start choosing. Where would we find you, though? Were you to be found in the library? You know, at lunchtime, would I see you kicking a footy? Were you... Um, in the art room, touching up some artwork that you've been been developing. What? Where would you um, hang out? Look, um, I was incredibly short sighted. Uh, literally, I don't mean that in any kind of not like, metaphorical. Socially, no, okay. not metaphorical. I was unbelievable. So I wanted to play sport, and I loved playing sport. I really, I was fit, and I was quite healthy, and everything. But I couldn't see the ball. Right. I could see the computer and I could see that, well, not that we didn't have computers at the time. I could see the typewriter, I could see everything. But if there was a group of people playing sport at the other end of the field, mm. I could see when they all ran in one direction, but I couldn't see what they were chasing. Uh-huh. I just, I was short-sighted as all hell until um, year 11 when my, my headaches got so bad that my mum took me to the doctor and and then he prescribed me the glasses and then the whole world became clear. And I was really good at sport after that. I was mm. fine with tennis. I was, I was too late for me to pick up football yes. and rugby yeah. and all this, but I was great with tennis and I was great with everything. Um, I, just, I just feel like my whole teenage years were spent 
not quite seeing what I was meant to see yeah. until I got glasses fitted in year yeah. 11. Yeah. And that was thanks to a fantastic maths teacher here at Yarrick. Um, can I, should I name him? Yeah, absolutely. No, oh, he's yeah. not here anymore. Colin Marriott, um, who used to be a brilliant maths teacher but wrote in tiny script on the wall uh, on the chalkboard. Yes. Um, so I literally was leaning forward to see what he was writing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but as soon as I got glasses fitted, my whole world yeah. reshaped itself. Yes. And I kind of wish I could go now go back and play football and play, mm. you know, because I would have been okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that that when you you do all of a sudden your your the scales have come off and and your eyes are clear and you can see new colours and new opportunities and new experiences and all those things that you missed out on. But by the sounds of it, you applied that new vision to what you were able to do, not what you missed out on, but what you were able to do. And I didn't feel like I'd missed out on much because I'd always been close to, I've always been able to say things that were close to me. I could read yes. and I could do drama and I could do singing and I was really good with the piano and I could yeah. see anything that was within three feet of me. Yes. But sport was beyond me and Yarrow Valley, this was the 80s. Uh-huh. This was the 1980s and Yarrow's was, Yarrow was um, sport-focused and it was... Oh, it was so money-focused. You know, the parents were watching Wall Street and, and yeah. you know, greed is good and all that stuff. This was 35 years ago from today. Yeah. Um, and even the, the family sitcoms were like family ties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael, Fo- Michael, Michael J. Fox, J. Fox yes, playing the world's most too. repulsive, <laughs> you know, capitalist while his parents were these anachronistic hippies. Yes, yes. And... It was it was always driving forward to something, and I just I felt like I'd fallen behind it. But it didn't matter mm. in the end. It didn't matter. In the midst of that uh, economic time and and social interactive time, yeah. you found yourself here at Yarra, and I um, didn't find myself here. I was I was placed here. Okay, so you you didn't get to choose your school. You were you. Oh were, no, I was I was the youngest of four who'd been through. The and place. so the others had been through. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. it just made sense that you would come here as well? It didn't need to make sense. It was just no. a pathway. Okay, yes, I, It was just enough. a pathway. Fair yeah. enough. What, uh, what would you say are some of the, uh, the great foundations that you did learn from your time at Yarra? What, what good did it do for you? Oh, it did a lot. Um, it didn't take me, it took me a long time to realise after I'd left how much good it had done for me. Mm. Um. I was incredibly happy to leave and you're looking a bit nonplussed at me at the moment (laughs) as though it's an insult to Yarrow, but it's not. It's the greatest compliment that I can actually pay at school in the sense that um, uh, secondary education is finite and you have to, you do sit year seven, year 12 and and then you have to go. I was happy to go in the sense that I was a confident, Mm. capable, well, I don't know how capable I was, but I was a confident, uh, uh, hopeful person looking forward to what the rest of the world had right. to offer. Yes. And rather than being, uh, uh, I didn't know what it offered. I mean, I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't someone who was staring into the abyss. No. Who, it was like, oh, you know. So it um, sounds like it prepared you for whatever was to come next. Yes, but in ways that I can't really articulate now. I, I, I found that. I felt that I was, um, I don't know, uh, uh, 
I'd, I'd learn how to debate and I'd learn how to argue and I'd learn how to listen, mm. maybe not listen as much as I learned after I left. Um, but I think that's what a school should do. A school mm-hmm. should teach you to leave. It yep. shouldn't teach you to stay. Absolutely. A bad school teaches you to stay forever. A good yes. school teaches you to actually um, finish what you're doing and then go out to the rest of the world and take what you've learned and and, and uh, appreciate the adventures that are coming towards you. Absolutely. So let's quickly move there. What yep. were the adventures that happened when you left here? And, and it sounds like you were ready to leave and that's great. That's a good time to go. Where did you go? What did you enter next? I flunked a first year of Monash Science. Um, I passed three co- three subjects out of four. Mm. The fourth one I failed dismally, and um, that was because I hadn't studied physics, and that was just ridiculous. Mm. So then I went into journalism. The mm-hmm. RMIT journalism course took me in very eagerly, and and I went through that, and then went into book publishing. Um, and that was perfect for me because it was the intersection between all the commercial stuff that I've ever, I've ever grown up with, the accountancy and the commerce and that stuff, and the creativity that was sort of innate within me. Yeah. They met at that, that point in publishing and they have met for 35 years since. Wow. Um, so I was, the, I was at, uh, I joined a company called Pam McMillan, one of the best publishers ever, um, worked with them for 14 years uh, as uh, I was 10 years on the board of there. And then I was offered a job by Guinness World Records in London, which I was amazed by that they would want me. And then I went over there and had the most incredible three years because uh, I don't, can I, I don't know how, can I swear? If, if, you, if, if it it's in you, context. If it helps you if tell it's a good in story. context. Okay, so the, my first day at Guinness World Records, I got an email saying, I, Dear sir, I, my name is N, I've done the world's largest shit. It's in a freezer bag and I have kept it in my, um, in my freezer. <laughs> I know, you're, you're rubbing your eyes over your face. I've kept it in my freezer and in my garage and it's waiting your inspection. This was my third day in London. And my first day at my new job, and I just thought, what the hell have I done? Yeah. What, have I, what have I moved across Is the world? Is this Anyway, I spent two years at Guinness World Records. Um, I did, as a member of the team, you're uh, required to do a certain number of adjudications every year. Mm-hmm. I did the world's largest bowl of soup in Saudi Arabia, in Jeddah. I did the world's largest group hug in Transylvania, in uh, Romania. Can you tell us some statistics around that? Uh, uh, okay. Well, just world's largest bowl of soup was 14,800 litres. Wow. The world's largest group hug. Can I go into this a bit? How long do I'd we have? I'd love to, yeah. How long do we have? As long as it takes. <laughs> um, the world's largest group hug was a tiny town in the middle of Romania called Alba Iulia. It's just south of Cluj-Napoca, which is northeast, northwest of um, Romania, uh, Bucharest. And it, the town is a really strong medieval town and it um, has been visited by Marco Polo in the past and it has this amazing 10th century medieval university and the wall is protected. The, the city is protected by this uh, 
medieval wall, which has seven bastions, which means like seven stars going out, built of concrete. And in 2008, they hollowed them out and realised that they actually could put, uh, anyway, I'm going on too long, they could put restaurants and cafes and everything. So wow. the Romanian government decided to do this amazing event where they would invite anyone from Romania in to circle the starred bastions of this old city and there were 9,758 people came uh-huh. and they encircled it in this huge hug and there was a town bell rung and then all these police blew these whistles and everyone hugged yeah. and they literally embraced this city. And I went around on the back of a police motorcycle and counted every one of these people over the course <laughs> of about two hours and did this world record. And it was extraordinary. It was, a, it was I mean... Who does this? Who it does was the this? most extraordinary yeah. event. So there was that. There was the worst largest boss suit. There was the worst largest um, football shirt in uh, in Istanbul. And just weekend after weekend after weekend. So as an adjudicator, it's not your job to come up with the, the feat or the, no, the world's biggest. You just have to go along and say, yes, that, that, that measures that. That they, is the they, right number. That is official. They have to meet the criteria and yes. I measure whether they can and oh. whether they have. The criteria is that it has to be, I shouldn't say, I don't work for them anymore, but the criteria is that it has to be measurable, universal and breakable. Right. They're, right. The, they're the three. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's fine. Oh. Anyway, after that, um, I left them and or we left each other mm. and then um, I went back to my old publishing company mm and did Russia, Eastern Central Europe, Middle East, Northern Africa. Wow. And that was amazing. That was a few good years. Um, and then they offered me a job in Hong Kong. Mm. And so but then my remit was Japan down to Papua New Guinea, mm. Guam to Burma. And so, it, yeah, it's been good. It's been, it's been fun. Yes. It, it seems that your choices in career and the opportunities that ha- has afforded you have seen you travel the world and, yeah. and seen some beautiful parts of the world by the sounds of it. And and in the midst of the beauty, you've seen some really fascinating things, um, massive soup bowls and big group hugs and the like. Um, if there was a destination that one day you'd like to go back to or is there a is there somewhere you haven't been that you think that's a go-to, that's on my bucket list in anywhere in the world? Oh, well, yeah, there's lots. Yes. I, mean, there's, there, I mean, there's lots of places I haven't been to that I would like to. Yes. Tell us one, maybe give us a recommendation that you have been to that you would recommend to us and why. Uh, without doubt, I think it's uh, Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Uh-huh. What is it about there that uh, so quickly jumps to mind? Uh, well, because I think it's easy to get to. Uh, for Australians, I think um, it's it's beautiful. Mm. It's um, beyond the size of it and scope of anything. That, have you been there? No. Uh, it's beyond the size and scope of anything that um, anyone can imagine. I mean, it's not it's not just one big temple in the middle of you know a field. It's mm. enormous and it has enormous adjacent uh, fields and and temples associated with it. You can spend days there, days there, right. easily. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Petra in Jordan, mm-hmm. I think is amazing. Ah, oh, there's, there's too many. Wow. The Great Wall, oh, God. Mm. But don't go to the regular places. Go to a place called Jinchanlin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I can't advertise. 
<laughs> no, no, because then too many people will go. Well, they won't be allowed. No, no. Because they well, measure how many people can go there anyway. So oh, it's I fine. see. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I think we're doing that everywhere at the moment. We're limiting how many people can go in into the fish and chip shop. At the let's moment. not talk about it uh, no, because that will start me on a whole new. Let's not. <laughs> So what does a book publisher actually do? It seems that it's taken you around the world. You've seen some amazing places under the banner of book publisher. But what does that mean day to day? Uh, I work for a book publisher. I've done multiple roles within, within, that, okay. within that concept. So I did some editorial stuff on um, uh, Tomorrow and the War Weekend, that uh-huh. series. Well, so well. I, I was sort of a structural advisor to John Marsden on that stuff, um, and uh, I've done sort of sales work. And when Matt Riley published Ice Station, I yeah. uh, sort of worked on that initial publishing and uh, publicity campaign. Right. Um, so it's kind of all over the place. Yes. But that's it's difficult to tell a person what that means. But it's it's true that you do all kinds of things mm. in uh, certain companies. And it seems to me that the diversity of the roles that you've had within the field have kept you in it for so long. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's, it's I think, uh, as I said, I think I, earlier, it's the um, intersection between the commercial and mm. the creative. And that's yes. that's the perfect point for someone like me. Yes, yes. I, I never wanted to be an accountant. I never wanted to be anything too sort of white collar. But I always was too f- afraid to be an artist on my own. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, so this is uh, someone taking taking art, taking someone's art, even if it's non-fictional, fictional, you know, matter what it is, yeah. and and putting into the commercial sphere. Mm-hmm. It's been a fantastic career. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, you are a creative. Do you create things of your own, whether it be what we might call traditional art, painting, sculpting, or word art, are you a writer in your own right as well? I write. Um, I am writing. I am very angry on Facebook and other media. You're angry not, about them or to No, to I'm angry them. about everything at the moment. Okay. Um, but I'm not, uh, I'm, not, I'm not ready to say anything. Okay, okay. Yeah. So... <laughs> so, so when you say you're a writer, but you haven't shared any of your writing, no, that's right. Haven't uh, published it as such. I've I've written lots of horrible things. Well, not horrible. I've written lots of um, things on Facebook. Okay, right, yeah. right. Um, I'm not ready to do a manifesto of any kind. Okay, yeah. yeah. I'm getting close. I've been back in Australia for three months now, yeah. and I'm getting close to. But that's because this podcast will presumably go on into eternity, and this is a particular point in time. That's right. That's right. So, so it is. Yeah. At the moment, at that. the moment, I'm incredibly angry. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, and ready to write something. Yes, I see. I see. Yeah. And would you say soon enough, almost ready to head back home as well? And home for you would be Hong Kong. Uh, I'm lucky. I have I have three homes. I think. Wow. I mean, Australia is always going to be my home. Yeah. Australia is always going to be kind of. Where my family home is, uh-huh. um, England is very much a home in terms of uh, my mother's English. Mm. My, well, my, she was born there, and I have British citizenship, and I feel very at home in Britain. Mm. 
It's where I spent most of my last 20 years, mm. much more than here. Mm. So I feel much I feel much more at home, I guess, in London than I do in Australia. Australia is uh, home in a, a sort of gra grassroots level. Yes. Um, yes. London is home in a uh, weirdly sort of high uh, 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 level. Yeah. And then um, Hong Kong is home now. Mm. So I'm, I, I think I'm very lucky. Mm, yes. And what is it about Hong Kong? I have travelled to Hong Kong many, many years ago, 20 yeah. years ago. Oh, yeah. So it's changed, obviously, in that time. But what, sure do you, what do you love about Hong Kong? I love, um, I love how energetic it is. Mm. I love how much people put into their lives in Hong Kong. Um, it's hard to speak about Hong Kong without crossing into the political, mm. and especially now at the moment, because uh, in terms of the COVID um, situation, Hong Kong has been through so much. They had MERS and SARS and Zika and, and M1H1 and bird flu and swine flu, and they've had so many pandemics, one after the other, after mm. the other, after the other, and they're so good at it now. You know, the moment a, a serious pandemic breaks out, they are there with the masks on and they are there in the stores with their hand sand and they are measuring your temperature when you go into any store whatsoever. And they've been brilliant. Mm, mm. And and they're a junction for the world. Yes. You know, they're a shipping junction Absolutely. and everything else. So you can't, you can't close your borders the way Australia can. You can't shut yourself off. Mm. You're now they're kind of half, well, Harford, mainly owned by China, you can't do what Australia's done if you're in Hong Kong. Mm. But they have been brilliant in this. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not always a fan of the Hong Kong government, but they have been brilliant in, uh, in the this. way they've managed it. The way they've managed it, the way the people have managed it, even more than the yeah. government. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not afraid of going back. I love. I love being there. Mm. Um, it's beautiful. Mm. It remains beautiful. One of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Mm. Uh, I will miss here when I go back. Yeah. But hopefully one day soon I'll be able to go back and forth like I used to. That's right. That's yeah. right. You mentioned a moment ago that an emotion that you feel from a recent uh, experience is anger. Tell me what, how do you experience joy? What brings joy to your life? Uh in terms of what? Oh, in terms of is it people, places, relationships, connections? Is it a good book? Is it uh, experience with wine and cheese? What what, what brings you oh, joy? Oh, it's not wine and cheese. But uh, no, I, I think joy comes in. Um, um, oh, just I think you feed off other people's joy by mm. going home, arriving home and seeing my dad after two weeks of quarantine. Mm. was one of the most joyous things I've ever seen. Right. My mum has had Alzheimer's and she lives across the road from him and seeing her the following couple of days mm. was amazing. She didn't know me, but that doesn't matter because uh -huh. I know her. Yeah. Um, uh, just friends, I, it's much more, it's not a tactile thing. Joy mm. is not a food and drink thing when you get to into the stage that I'm in, yeah, the stage of life that I'm in. Sure, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So speaking of stage of life, yeah. what's next? What are you looking forward to? What's, Don't know. What's on the horizon? Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. And does that worry you, or does that excite you? No, it excites me. 
Great. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And that's a Euro Valley thing. Tell me more. Um, in the sense that um, the lift up thine eyes thing. Mm. It's, okay. You've always got to look forward. You've always got to look to the next thing that's coming along. Yeah. And you've always got to be optimistic that, that it will be okay. Mm. Yeah. So Levar Vioculus, our school motto, lift up our eyes. And sometimes I, d- I ask, what does that mean? What is that? What did that mean as a student? And well, yeah. What does it mean for you now? And back then what it meant was that I went into the world quite confidently. Mm. I, um, yeah, and now what it means is that um, things that will happen to me now are of my own making. I will decide. I get to decide what happens to me. I can knock mm. back jobs or I can take on jobs or whatever mm. because um, I have carved I hope a career that will allow me to do that. Mm-hmm. So far, it has. There's no reason why it won't in the future. Yeah. Um, almost everyone. I guess. What's your what are you, what's your next questions? Are you going to ask me about advice and stuff? I I, I will eventually. The one the yes. one thing I would say. You've got some advice. I mean, for us. the one thing the one thing that I learned, <laughs> and that I would advise someone is that that you can't predict what's going to happen to you ever. But the people that I know, all, every one of the people I don't know who loves their job. Do you want to take that? No, it's okay. <laughs> right in the middle of my most important yes, part here of the oh, Some advice. Oh, Paul, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> all the people that I know, every one of the single, every single person I don't know who absolutely loves their job fell into it not by accident, but because it was adjacent to the thing that they loved the most. So I would say to anyone, just let, just relax a bit, yeah. follow your passions, but don't follow them too aggressively. Just, yeah. just allow yourself to move into this, you know, this sphere or that sphere or whatever, and mm. things will open up to you. Mm. It, it, the, the people who are unhappiest from my year, especially 1986, the ones who are determined to be accountants, determined mm. to be actuaries, determined to be whatever, whatever, you know, last one to a millionaire is a rotten mm. egg. Yeah. And and by the time we met for our 10-year reunion, they were on their second divorce and all their money had gone to their ex-wives. And I mean, it's just, it's a ridiculous way to live. Mm. Just, just follow whatever you want to do. Don't be afraid to do it. Mm. And don't be afraid to fail at it as well because failure is where you learn all your good most, shit. Yes, yeah, of course, of course. That's where you. That's where you get all your skills from. Is failure. Yes. I, I agree. Agree. I wonder if we might move to uh, what I like to call. Nobody else calls it, but I like to call it the lightning round, where our question and answer might be short and sharp, one right. word answer even. If it, it might be the I, tip I, of the tongue. You know, right now that I can't do that. Okay. But I'll have a go. I'll have a go. I'll have a go. <laughs> All right, let's see how we go. Paul Kenny from the class of 1986. Mm. What house were you in? Arnott. And were Arnott any good back in your day? Oh, I don't remember. And do you recall what your contribution to Arnott was? Were you great on athletics day? Did you love swimming sports? Did you enjoy the debating and earning points for your house that way? Why do I get one word answer when you have <laughs> ten thousand word question? Um, no, I was. I think I was. I, I don't remember even what we did. I, I think I swam for them. 
I think I was okay. I think I was pretty good. I, I, I think I debated. I think I, I don't know what I did. I didn't, I just certainly didn't play football or no. anything aggressive. I couldn't see. No, that's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you weren't playing football then. How did you travel to school? Uh, by car. I lived, uh, my, my family's literally a mile away. Okay. And yes. always has been. Yeah. Yes, yes. So my dad used to drop me off, listen to Darren Hinch on the radio, on 3AW. Yes. Getting yes. angry. He and was he angry. Often did. He was angry by the time he dropped me off to school. <laughs> and then my mother. Who Darren was or your dad was? Both. <laughs> yeah. And my, but yeah, neither could hear each other. No. And so they were right. screaming at each other by the time I got to school. So I used to arrive at school angry. Right. Yeah. Right. Probably not the best way to start the day. I was, it served me well. Do you remember your own first car? Datsun 180B, mm. white coffee colour. Yeah, and I got it on my 18th birthday. Uh-huh. Uh, well, I had bought it before then, but I got my licence on my 18th birthday. Well done. Yeah. And yeah. then my older brother pr- drove it into the main car park, yes. which is still here. Yes. And I got the you key. Got to drive he it he home. gave me the keys and I drove it home. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Via the Chinese restaurant at Burnt Bridge. <laughs> yeah. uh, very good. Yeah. Very good. Is there a piece These of... These are not one-word questions. No, they, oh, no, no, that's true. That's yeah. true. But uh, you can give us a sentence and we're enjoying it. Thank uh, you. Uh, is there a piece of work that you produce while you're at Yarra that you're particularly proud of? No. Okay. There's, another person's work, there's another person's work that I'm particularly impressed by, um, a guy called Wayne McCartney. Uh, but I can't, I can't plagiarise his work by telling it here. Okay. okay. There was a the, the, the Wendy Ward who I spoke about before. Yeah. She gave us a, a thing called uh, it was a writing piece called Everyone and and so the the um, project was a writing piece. You had forty five minutes, and the starting line was Everyone envied Jenny dot dot dot. Right. And he wrote this extraordinary piece over 45 minutes about how Jenny was an ordinary girl who had suddenly won the lottery and then suddenly found new friends and then mm. suddenly um, found a new boyfriend and then suddenly got murdered. And, oh. yeah, within 45 minutes he wrote this. Right. And every paragraph, I've never seen a piece of writing like it mm. and I never will again. Mm. And that was, this isn't going to make it into the podcast, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was, you think we're going to edit this out? He got 11 out of 10. From uh, from Fred Carstens. Uh, yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's that's high praise. It was unbelievably mm. it was a beautiful piece of writing. That's great. So yeah, Paul, did you have a nickname when you were at Yarra? No, Ken, just Kenny. Yes, yeah. yes. Do you carry a mobile phone these days? Yeah. What are a couple of apps that are most used on your phone? WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. That's it. Facebook. Yeah. I don't know. If I was coming to your place... Should I be more creative? No, not at all. Oh, no, at all. The, the, no practical. Yeah. If, if I was coming to your place for dinner, thank you for the invite, what would you serve up? You're, you're the chef. What are you going to cook me? Asian food, probably. Mm. Highly spiced Asian food, mm. mainly. Well, I would ask you first whether you're... Um, are you vegetarian? No, I'm not. Um, well, uh, do you have allergies? No allergies. Right. Uh, so I would probably cook uh, something highly flavoured. Mm, love it. Take me out of the equation. You're having three people over for dinner from any time, any era, any time of history, any industry, dead or alive. Who were three people you'd love to sit down over dinner with? There's too many. Mm, mm. I think I would rather have, I think I'd like to have my mum and dad. Great. Good actually answer. Back. Yeah, yeah. 
and I'd like to quiz them a bit. Mm. Um, but if I did that, I wouldn't have a third person. It would just be me and them. No, no, I think mum and dad, that's the perfect answer. What does success mean to you? This is not uh, a one-word answer necessarily. You can expand on this. Oh, no, yeah, okay. Um, uh, it certainly doesn't mean what it meant when I graduated from Yarra in mm. 1986 when they were all greed is good, money is good. I think um, money uh, money is I like I like I like the idea that I might have it one day. Mm. It's not particularly important. Mm. Um, I think it is to do with uh, who you love and who you are loved by and who how how you carve your life in that way. Mm. Um, I'm never happier than when I'm in, on the couch with my partner and watching a new you know, BBC series or whatever. Mm. That's my that's my moment. It's right. it's it's tiny. Yeah. And success is that entirely for me. That's mm. it's it's not having to go anywhere, not having to be beholden to anyone, not having to meet a deadline, not having to pay a bill, not having to, you know, uh, that's what success is. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. It's not necessarily the same thing as being comfortable or being uh yeah. Am I doing the right? Maybe I'm confusing success with happiness. I don't know. No, I, I, I love your answer. I think, I think being with people you love and who love you and ha having a moment and not feeling obliged to be anywhere else, I think that's a beautiful place to be. It's a beautiful place where maybe that's happiness rather than success. Mm. Maybe success is... You know, like I, I, I went to Cambodia a few times and my partner and I helped build some school, uh, not schools, but had some, some sort of huts and some houses. And that was that was lovely. Mm. I don't know. Maybe um, maybe it's just about, I don't know, it's about, it's about that kind of feeling at the end of the day that you've done mm. something where other people have felt as good as you feel. Yeah. That's good. That's nice. It's, yeah. not, it's not a greed feeling. It's a, it's mm. a giving feeling. Yeah, look good. I like that. I like yeah. that. A giving feeling. Mm. How has book publishing changed in your 35 years in the industry? What's different about it now? Uh, not very much. Uh, the, the process of publishing is very much the same as it always was. It's the books that are being written that are different. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're written to reflect all of the changes that are happening around everywhere mm. Mm. um so you know the me too and the we too and the, um, black lives matter and mm. uh, all of that kind of stuff is uh, a massively important mm. part of the new growth and people reading is part of the new um people reading different stuff that they didn't read before mm. and it's fascinating mm. and it's it's enlivening still to read books that uh, read manuscripts that haven't been published yet mm. and be sort of be the first person to see that new stuff coming out. Interesting, yes, yeah. yes. What about, though, what impact has self-publishing or audio books had on your industry? Well, they're different. Self-publishing is, is a person deciding that they want to publish their own book without the um, uh, expertise or the involvement of a publisher. Mm. Audio books are completely different. 
uh, uh, my company in London now has an audio studio mm-hmm. um, in its offices mm-hmm. where they can record books. And it was brilliant for them throughout the COVID thing because sure. a, a reader and a, a producer can actually sit in different rooms and they can be socially distanced. So yeah. our audio book publishing was completely enhanced last year. Yeah. Um, self-publishing, I think a person who publishes their own book is, um, I mean, good luck to them. Yeah. You know, uh, well done. Um, uh, yeah, don't don't call me and ask me how to get your book onto Amazon because if you choose not to uh, publish with a mainstream publisher, you're on your own. Yes, yes. You know, so I, I'm not I'm not antagonistic against them, but I just think they're they're naive. Mm. Um, mm. And what you do if you self publish is put your book out there and let people find it. Yes. Yeah. Which is a hard road, isn't it? Well, all publishers are hard road. Yes, that's true. But yeah. a self-publishing is particularly hard road because you don't have the expertise of a, of a marketing and a salesperson and then yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, sure, so, sure. Yeah. This might be near on impossible question, but of all of the books and manuscripts you've read, are there any that you thought would have been published and been great and perhaps were published but didn't? become great? Um, are you asking me if there is a lost sort of yes. a, a, a manuscript that... There are many great stories of great authors who have sent it to publisher after publisher to get a no, a no, a no, a no, and eventually a publisher saw it and, and said yes, and it's gone on to be, uh, you know, a huge success. Well, Harry Potter. Harry Potter, for example. Is the obvious one. Yes, yes. <laughs> are there others that we've missed? Well, probably, but I, I, I mean, I don't read everything that comes through. So yeah. I, there's a great Australian novel, I think, that that slipped by everyone. And it's a, a book. Uh, it should be in all VCE. Okay. So called, here's a recommendation. Oh, my God. No, right. yeah, for the entire Victorian. <laughs> it's called Silence is Long Gone. Uh-huh. And it's a, by a guy called Anson Cameron, who's a Melbourne writer. And I think um, right for the age. And it's an extraordinary book. Um, it's a, 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 a mine up in the Kilberley and um, there's a mother whose son has passed away and she has lived there all her life basically and there's an Aboriginal land rights claim on the same turf mm. and there's a mining company that owns the land um, and they are pulling out the mine because the mines were out of ore. And the woman is claiming her rights and the Aboriginal land rights, people are claiming their rights. Anyway, there's an amazing scene in the middle of the thing where she says to the Aboriginal uh, land rights people, how does your dream time get to become more real than my family, my son and my daughter who I've buried in the Mm -hmm. front yard? And they say to her, well, how does your family become more real than our dream time? Mm -hmm. And the mining company steps back and says, well, we're saying nothing. And it's it's absolutely indicative of the of the struggle that's always been going on, mm. and it's an amazingly articulate book, and it's brilliant, and it's wonderful, and we should never have let it go. Mm. Silence is long gone, Anson Cameron. It's a it's a brilliant. I, he's a he's a genius. Mm. So yeah, love that. But don't put that into the podcast. <laughs> I wonder if there's a question that you really wished I had asked you, and then answer that question. Um, 
No, I think the, look, the only thing the only thing that I would ever say to kids, to well, young adults leaving Yarra is um, relax and give it time. Mm. You know, just all of the people that I know who are genuinely, genuinely happy in their lives and their jobs have allowed themselves to slide into them by taking opportunities when they came along by taking chances when they came up and by being there when things popped up you don't have to you don't have to decide at the age of 17 that you're going to be an accountant and then be an accountant and then continue being an accountant you know you can you can do you can do anything mm-hmm. and especially at the moment because there are so many new industries and so many new things popping up we're reshaping the way we work the way we live where we you know we're radically rethinking the way we do everything it's going to create new opportunities it's mm. going to create new chances mm. not everything's going to make you a millionaire but also don't worry about not being a millionaire because mm. you'll be happy mm. and that's great my greatest joy in my life is I'm not a millionaire I don't care about that I don't care about that. I'm immensely happy I love my job I love where I live. I, I don't know that I'm going to love it for that much longer in Hong Kong, but I love being there. Mm. Um, I love my partner, of course. We're going to always be okay, I think, because we have a foundation that is uh, just built on the ability to think in ahead of the curve. Mm. So just think smart, be smart. Be a good colleague. Be a co- be a, a a good colleague means you'll always get opportunities. Be always be offered things. Mm. Be a good worker. That means you'll always be offered advances and all of that. Be a good neighbour. Be a good friend. Mm. You know, just be a good person. Good it's, advice. It's not hard. No, it's not hard. It's not hard. And yet, why is it so rare? It's, uh, is it? I, I I think it is. I think uh, I think we've certainly been through some challenge and some struggle. And that's just what we see here. You know, globally, there's some real big challenge out there. And uh, and I see we. I think we see. You know, when there's crisis, I think we see the best and the worst. And uh, we have seen some really, really, really good, good. And uh, and that's what we want to focus on and celebrate for sure. For sure, you're a proud Yarra Algramarian. You've mentioned. Oh, I don't. I don't. You know, I'm here. Mm. I haven't. I haven't disassociated myself at the place. No, absolutely, and and I'm I'm wrapped that you've you've had the opportunity while you're here in Australia to to pop in and and spend some time with us, and I really appreciate that. Um, I'm intrigued by the diversity of impact and influence on your life, and I think that that's makes you the complex and um, stimulating character that you are, and it's quite fascinating. Um, I'm surprised that you're not uh, finding more ways to release all of your energy and understanding and influence in terms of whether it's words and maybe words is your craft or whether it's some other form of sharing your story. And I think you've got so many great stories to to share. Um, You mentioned that you've written some stuff but haven't yet kind of released it and... uh, is there a book in you? Oh, yeah, probably. Mm, one day. Yeah, 
I'm not sure how much Yara will include. No, no, I'm not necessarily. I mean, I think I think I two of my two of my most influential people in my life were here. Mm-hmm. One was a, a really lovely maths teacher called Colin Marriott. Who, oh, I think he's now a Bullinock. I, I I don't remember. He was the calmest person I've ever known, mm-hmm. um, and and just a lovely. He was what I needed when I was an angry seventeen-year-old. Mm-hmm. He was just sensible and. And just always there, and, and mm, yeah, predictable and reliable. Well, and not predictable, but he was just—he was just. Uh, uh, I don't know quite how he was. He wore daggy jumpers, and but he was so happy in the life that he had made. Right. I think. I mean, God, if he's divorced now three times, I mean, I'll be horrified. <laughs> he was just a lovely, lovely person. But the other one, the real one, was Wendy Ward. Mm. Who is if she's not in the Yarra Valley Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. Is there a Hall of Fame? Uh, oh, there certainly there are some star of uh, walks. Uh, star yes, of, there, there are some uh, some great walkthroughs of uh, great. You Yarra need you need like literally a Hollywood walk of. Yes, that's a good idea. I'll put that to yeah. the uh, to the group. Wendy Ward was here for I think twenty six years. Okay, as an English teacher, uh-huh. she was um, uh, about five foot five. She was diminutive, but she was a powerhouse, and she used to. When she would walk into the room, she would have her uh, her binder and a clipboard clutched to her, and she would walk uh, uh, with her head down as though she was thinking about something very seriously. And she would literally walk into the room. There are twenty five of us in the room, and she would walk in and go as if it was this morning. She would be like, "Okay, Boris Johnson said this. What does what everyone think? Sit down, talk about it. What is Boris?" And you would not have a chance to not be organised because she would arrest Strange. you. Yeah. And, and she would be so electrifyingly brilliant and she would engage every single person in the room. And even if you didn't have an opinion, she you would listen and she'd be like, okay, you don't know what to say. Sit down listen to these guys and these guys. Oh, she was breathtakingly brilliant. Yeah. She was breathtaking. I've never, I've never had a teacher before or since who could walk into a room mid-conversation and pull you in. She was a she was a cyclone of brilliance, and I ah oh, I she is the one person who I remember more, and who I would teach my teaching if I was a teacher, teach my teaching style. Yes, from. you'd model it on that. Oh, yes. completely. Yeah, she was unbelievable. Yes, so yes. compelling and so engaging. And even if you didn't know what you were doing, she yes. would still be Wendy Wood. W a e n e yeah Wood W i d. That's good. She was incredible. She was she was a massively talented teacher. Mm. And the other one uh, was Norm Max, who you've yes. interviewed, David Max. Yes, yes, yes we have. I, yes. I heard this before. We we do hear of Norm from time to time. Others who have referred to him as uh, somebody who influenced them as well. Well, he was my graphics teacher. Uh huh. David, his son, was my sister's best friend. Right. And I saw right. David, at, yeah, last week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Norm was terrific. He was a he was a lovely, lovely man. He was very exacting. Yes. Well, I guess in graphics, that's uh, that's part of the. But even outside of that, was he? Okay. Uh, yeah. Your yeah. tie is undone. Uh huh. Please. Yeah. Yeah. Quite simple. To the point. Yeah. Fix it. Yeah. Second <laughs> button. Yeah. Second button. Second Mr. button. Not even the top button. Second button, Mister Kenny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It sounds like you heard that a lot. What second button? Yes. No, no, no. It was just it was just Norm. Yeah. Third button, Mr. Kitty. Right, right. He used to leave, there used to be a message board at 11 o'clock every morning. Uh-huh. And he used to leave messages for me to my father about the football results. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
Mr. Paul Kenny, please see Mr. Norman Mags in relation to the Essendon loss against. Right. Whoever, whatever, yes. Huh. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Paul, thank you. Anyway, thank that's you gone way time. too long. Don't Please don't make all of that. <laughs> I uh, appreciate your time and your storytelling. No and, uh, and I love the phrase you referred to uh, as a teacher, but a cyclone of brilliance. And I think that uh, there's something cyclonic about you too. And uh, it's, uh, it's intriguing. So thank you. Thanks for your time and uh, for sharing some of you with us today. No worries. Thank you. Well, thank you, Paul. And like I mentioned, <laughs> a cyclone. Well, he said a cyclone of brilliance, a cyclone of intrigue, a cyclone of mystery, a cyclone of ideas and perspectives and opinions, certainly. I hope you stayed with us and enjoyed the pieces of the puzzle that we were able to refuge and set back to you. Uh, like all of our conversations here on the Inspired by Yarra podcast, they go into a library, a growing library of conversations with Yarra Old Grammarians. And we'd love you to share it, to post about it, to give us a feedback, review, rating, spread the word. And we'd love more and more people to learn about this podcast series and to get on board and tune in, share it with somebody. Because they too may have experienced some the same things that Paul did back in those days. I hope you'll join us again next episode when I'll sit down again with another yog to see how they too have been inspired by Yarra. My name's Paul Joy and on behalf of everyone here at Yarra, I want to wish you another day of inspiration where you get on out there with intentionality to make a positive impact in the world around you.